0: This is Michael Drake, Chancellor at the University of California, Irvine. And whenever I get the urge to hear the voice of independent music, I tune in to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine or over the web at KUCI.org. The opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the management of KUCI or the UC Board of Regents. For more information about this show, go to KUCI.org.
1: Good morning, everyone. I am your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to the April 16, 2013 edition of Ask a Leader. Besides this being National Library Week and California Native Plant Week, two things that I take pretty seriously the whole of the month, April is National 911 Awareness Month. With that, today we'll look at hazards while keeping our heads pretty cool. First, we'll have Linda Bogue, UCI's emergency services manager, to lead us through the all-important preparation that we shall neglect no longer. And we have additional incentive in what happened at the Boston Marathon yesterday. Then, in the latter half of the show, is the inestimable Dr. Oren Pilkey. Professor Emeritus of Earth and Ocean Sciences at Duke University to talk about our beaches, inevitable retreat. He's been warning us about it for decades. We'll have him with us right here on Ask a Leader. We'll hear about how constructive it is to think ahead both around this beautiful campus as well as along these beautiful seasides. Please don't go away. We'll be right back after a very short interlude. Thank you everybody for staying with us. My first guest is Linda Bogue, the Emergency Services Manager for UC Irvine. Many of you may already know her or have seen her as she keeps this campus covered. Since 2003, she's coordinated emergency management, emergency response and disaster preparedness activities for the main campus. Current key initiatives for emergency services, about which we'll be talking today, include ongoing development of the Zone Crew Program, Campus Search and Rescue Team, UC Ready Continuity Planning, and Emergency Operations Center and Department Operations Center training and exercises. Prior to coming to UCI, Linda has over 20 years of experience with a major petrochemical corporation. Her assignments ranging from field-level operations to corporate staff, focusing on OSHA compliance, emergency response, and employee training and development. Her work also includes some management consulting and healthcare regulatory compliance. Linda received her BA degree in speech communication from San Diego State University, and a Master of Arts in Organizational Leadership from Chapman University. She is a member of the Orange County Emergency Managers Organization, uh, previous excursion on radio. Uh, For Linda was uh, some Emily Emily Dickinson poetry back in college days, uh, comparable to my time uh, in the 70s. She joins me here in Studio A today. Welcome to Ask a Leader Linda
2: Bogue. Thank you very much, Claudia. Thanks for having me here.
1: Well, we had made various plans, But first, I thought, uh, well, it would be fitting, perhaps, if the emergency alert system would send a test during this interview. Now, uh, folks, that's when sometimes you hear in the background on the EAS receiver chugging away. As UCI is required to be part of the emergency alert system. Well, while we're on that topic, um, we're going to uh, actually we're going to shift course today because of what did happen at the end of the Boston Marathon yesterday. um, And we're going to. Uh, look at um, that scenario and what it would something comparable to that although we're not dealing with comparable density here in uh, suburban Orange County and on this campus uh, but I do know from a friend actually who's just emailed me this morning Harvard kicked into high gear with um, in into place with a response to the um, this catastrophe uh, and they of course used a great deal of social media to manage the emergency so let's Linda Vogue let's talk about What um, you saw unfolding in terms of the emergency response that's uh, uh, very telling for um, any uh, maybe reconsideration now of some of the protocols in place or what what you saw at work that um, was something we should all take note of at this very topical opportunity?
2: I think it's important to know that uh, there were plans in place and it, all of the responders there had drilled and practiced on scenarios very similar to what happened um, many of the campuses did have plans kicked it into place uh, I received an email this morning from a colleague at Boston University they were actually pre- very close they are very close and they are actually pre-identified as a shelter location so when the when the race was suspended and they had to move people off the race course, BU was already identified as a place to take people in, um, shelter them, provide them food and water, and keep them safe until they could find their way to the to the uh, end of the race course and and get themselves back to their hotels and what have you. So I think uh, I think in looking at the response, it was a very very. Um, textbook response you saw the responders there you saw the citizenry the other runners and, and other volunteers there pitching in to help um, of course they had medical aid there for the runners the the, the mission for those medical aid responders shifted immediately um, to, to triage for the wounded um, it's it, it was really really um, uh, fascinating to watch I think they did a really good job. It's also critical to know that, that there are um, that there are all those planning steps, um, but also that that people can be um, looking and aware that these things, events like this don't happen in a vacuum. Bad guys. Have their plans also. And they may very well have been um, planning and, and doing some dry runs and seeing if they could get away with something like this. Watching where there was a saturation it, of a soft target. Absolutely, absolutely. So I think one of the key messages we can get out today is that if you see something, say something. We all get complacent over time, and it's important to raise our vigilance again. Um, you know, you know your local area and your normal routine better than anybody. If you see something that's out of place, see someone that doesn't belong, see something going on that just doesn't look right, call the police department. Whether it's here at UCI, call call nine one one to our dispatch center, or if you're off campus, just um, call the local police department. Let them know that something doesn't look right and you need to report it, and let the professionals investigate anything of concern that you may have. And you were kind. You were kind enough to to give me. Um A
1: uh, a press release from the sheriff's office this morning. Um, The number uh, for a tip, something doesn't seem to be right. Uh, You're guaranteed to remain anonymous. I mean, you can uh, operationalize that, you can guarantee that anonymity. Yes. That uh, the number to call uh, the Orange County Crime Stoppers is at 1 855 TIP O C C S and i will include that in the podcast summary for our radio archive as well and we may uh, bring that up again uh, so and the i think the motivation is overcoming our cultural sort of barrier to um, snitching as it were that we can let's let's reverse the order like oh we're desperate this is a this is an emergency that's just been wrecked upon us think of in terms of that kind of necessity weighing that against what you think might be uh, the, the sort of the notion that uh, informing is um, a, not a uh, respectable thing. It's extremely respectable to do that because oh, absolutely. of, of uh, averting something. We've, we were uh, able in other situations in the school district to avert uh, catastrophe, and so um, that's because people were doing their job, and we need to help law enforcement, frankly, folks do their job by uh, standing on that tip if we don't think it, it adds up, if it doesn't pass the quiz kind absolutely, of a thing. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, then, uh, and I uh, do you also have because I've had the um, disaster medicine physicians at UCI Medical on the show, it's been about two years ago. Um, are they also a part of the whole protocol besides the ones that we're going to break down that are um, activated on the campus? For response here to the campus, for, right, right? I mean, they they have to swoop down when there's a, like a catastrophic sort of thing where they're going to be overwhelmed by a lot of. Because I mean, it was it reached catastrophic proportion yesterday with so I don't know how many amputees there were at that um, line, and we're shaking our heads collectively in the studio here. That yeah, I,
2: I I believe there were about six or seven hospitals that received patients. And They're ready, and so that, similarly here. that yes. you've got those connections there. Yes.
1: So um, there are a number of uh, part portions uh, departments around the the campus. The crisis management crew uh, at the, uh, Chancellor's Executive Policy Group, the Emergency Planning and Program Management Emergency Operations Center, and Department Operations Center readiness, as well as the I'm going to my sec, uh, the uh, business continuity group, the Zone Crew. We're going to talk a lot about them, I think, and okay. the Campus Research and Rescue. Are uh, group so all of these are uh, activated when a given situation uh, uh, is uh, you know, uh, let's say uh, anticipated. We're not saying uh, um, it's pl- it's planned and anticipated. So I don't know, is it the earthquake disaster that you mostly think about, or is it it's a generalized uh, response that we um, that we're talking about that you prepare for?
2: We take an all hazards uh, approach to our emergency management. Um, we have identified a handful of most likely scenarios that we think may happen. Typically though, regardless of what the triggering event is, the response to it is all gonna be the same. So we did a a hazard analysis a few years ago and in the top, uh, the, the key events that we worry about here on campus, number one is the catastrophic earthquake. And that really holds true for almost every UC campus because we happen to build them all along the coast. Um, number two is a, a lab fire, um, and we had our kind of wake-up call back in 2001, the, the f- Rhinus Hall fire. Physics- that was pretty oh, yes. pretty significant in, in the School of Physical Sciences. And because you had a, that small
1: reactor is there and the, the whole... And the, the, the chemicals and the labs and everything that were... Absolutely. Absolutely. Very toxic. Yes, yes.
2: Um, and, and surprisingly, that was a, a multimillion-dollar cleanup for that, and it put the building out of commission for a, a matter of a couple of weeks during the cleanup. So, you know, lab fires are not cheap, plus the loss of research. Right. Uh, luckily, right. we only had a, a couple of minor injuries, um, one to a, a couple of firefighters and, and one to the lab uh, employee that was working there. We also worry about residential building fires. We house about half of our campus, half of our student body here on campus. Man, I never thought of that, Linda. Absolutely. That is, that's true. Yes. yes, both residential halls and apartment living. Wow. Significant. Um, Has there been is
1: there a, a sort of a, a real life template from um, I'm trying to think of any campus fire around the country. That... There
2: there have been some pretty significant fires. Um, luckily, nothing really recent. We've had some minor ones. We we like we like to learn on the little ones so we've had um, okay, some right. kitchen fires especially in some of the graduate housing where they have kitchens we have kitchen fires that may compromise a unit or two um, and those are you know easily remedied but still requiring an ev- evacuation of nearby neighbors and relocation of the residents and all that kind of stuff so we can learn on the little things and hopefully the big one doesn't happen um, we worry, of course, about public event disturbances and uh, oh, protests I've seen. and those, those types of things that, that may get out of hand. Um, I think uh, our some of our colleagues uh, in uh, in the UC system are um, more impacted than we are. I, I like to think, you know, suburban Orange County, we are kind of a layback kind of group here, but we still do have our protests oh, well, and our well, our with police... dignitaries and all Absolutely. that coming in and out. And uh,
1: yes. that there's a there there. I think when um, I'm trying to think of uh, you, I can't think of you's first name, the uh, attorney in the, uh, the the Bush administration. Da- is it David? You, um, I can't think of his name right now. He um, There there was a tremendous uh, yes. uh, demonstration, yes. rallying right up against the university club mm-hmm. and um, and uh, I'll set aside my, uh, I'm just trying to think of his first name now. Um, Set aside my uh, my own uh, thoughts about what he contributed in public policy, but it was sure. I think uh, the you ha- there was a contingency to end mm-hmm. uh, his talk prematurely mm-hmm. because um, there there wasn't any abating that crowd. They were they were going to bring that wall down or the, the glass window down. I think that the rally outside.
2: Well, that can happen, and and we also have dignitaries who come. We had the Dalai Lama come visit just a couple of years ago, and we had Bill Clinton on campus. Well, last that's right. Year. We were all secured. We had that so, huge
1: line sneaking around for security clearance. Absolutely. the dalai lama
2: yeah yeah so although he's not controversial still oh but he never know he never know by certain people he is and the the police did a a great deal of preparation in order for that visit to go as smoothly as it did okay yes so
1: uh things that we don't even think about their their they're tending to well um so then there's the um i'm thinking of the like an earthquake we have the Uh, The annual shakedown that you're participating, we all participate on this campus,
2: Um, along with the state, Uh, it's, I believe, it's in... It's in October. October. Um, You know, if I was a better emergency manager, I'd tell you what day it is. I'm not even sure, but it's typically mid-October. It's it's, uh, the great shakeout here in in California, and they encourage everyone, uh, we encourage everyone to practice drop cover and hold on. Um, to get under a a secure piece of furniture and keep themselves safe for that exercise and then to think about what they would do in case of in case of a catastrophic earthquake if they do they have plans with their families do they know where they would rendezvous if if they were out and about and had to try to get back together do they have a kit do they have emergency supplies for a minimum of three days absolute minimum of three days water and food and and as we learned in Hurricane Sandy Superstorm Sandy and I'm sure you will get this reinforced later yes three days is not enough we really do need uh, more supplies on hand than that
1: and that was a good demonstration that some people were beyond three weeks absolutely and beyond yes beyond my gosh well for those of you who've just joined us my guest today is Linda Bogue she is the um, UC Irvine's emergency services manager and we're talking one disaster after the next for which her office is helping us be better planned to um, to face down uh th- these cer- particular kinds of disasters, um, so you're talking about uh, what we need to do. What in these drills so far have you seen is uh, our uh, sort of leading uh, deficiency that we can get a jolt from you right now to
2: um, be better about. I think on a personal level, it really is to to have supplies and have and, and to think preplan in advance where you would go and what you would do. In terms of of, uh, response, and we saw this uh, yesterday, communications are gonna always be a challenge. And, And the more tech savvy we all get, the more we expect communication to happen instantly and accurately. And, and it's gonna be chaos in those first few minutes, first, and that's something... first few minutes and hours, and people just need to understand that, that we are gonna do the best we can to get the best information out without setting without sending out rumors or anything else. So it's gotta be accurate, it's gotta be quick, and it's gotta be good. Probably not gonna be as instantaneous as the public would like. And
1: that really, that kind of uh, tension is something that you can't even understand or know about until, I remember from in a, in a march I was in D.C., and in the middle of that group, I mean, you want information. I mean, this is, of course, before lots of of connectivity. This was in the 80s, But I just remember from that experience, Mm -hmm. though, you just want to know why aren't we moving. You want to know why and what and and that kind of a thing. And you can't uh, as fast as you want to know, as much as connectivity as we have at this point. And uh, it's really
2: hard to have a dress rehearsal for that kind of a a factor, though. It's hard to stress it's hard to put stress on the cell phone networks and all that kind of stuff to find out where where the failure point is going to be. Cell phone networks, of course, yesterday were, were terribly overwhelmed. Uh, I will remind people, though, yes. many times a text message can go out when a phone call can't because it takes less bandwidth. So... Um, try to stay off your devices as best you can. Leave those airways open for professional responders. If you do need to make a, uh, a notification to someone, try to do it via text message. Um, but, but please, leave those communication devices, communication airwaves open for the responders to do what they need to do as much as possible. So
1: instead of Instagramming, yes. what uh, carnage you're seeing. And yes. I, I am not being facetious, but that, that's huge bandwidth there that's mm-hmm. shutting down the, uh, the ability of the emergency response to take its course. Oh, that's, a, that's an important uh, refrain. We can go to, back to that. Uh, we're, uh, there's a number, two of the, the uh, social network uh, possibilities for people to to stay connected, and I don't know how much bandwidth it would be to, um, to be using some of these, but you've given me, uh, there's the, the sites.uci.edu forward slash emergency management is one way to go, the facebook.com forward slash UC Irvine PD and then there's the twitter.com forward slash UC Irvine PD and then the nixel.com uh, forward slash University of California Irvine Police Department. So yes. uh, those uh, I guess used judiciously or that's a lot of bandwidth to get in and out of those as well though. So um, but but for people to have that I guess, that available on their records too. Um...
2: We use many of those, especially Facebook and, and Nixel, more for information, not for urgent notifications. Okay. So urgent notifications, everyone on campus should be signed up for Zod Alert. That's our text messaging system. Um, police dispatch has the capability to, um, to, to send out a text message um, as quickly as we have a, a credible message to send out to folks again we're going to verify that we need to send the message craft it and send it out and try to get that out in a very timely manner Um, so zot alert is very critical oit can also um, through the magic of technology convert that to an email and send an email out to everyone at the same time Uh, we're going to follow that up with uh, just messages we've worked with uh, the communications strategic communications here on this campus to get uh, messages out on the uci homepage, uci.edu uh, and we will convert that to a blog style so that it takes less, much less bandwidth. So we'll take everything down except for those urgent messages. And if you take a look at what's happening at other campuses, that, that's pretty much the standard where you drop your typical homepage and you're putting up just your emergency notification information.
1: Okay. We'll get that down again, too, for the podcast summary so that yes. everybody can take fast and furiously um, you know, this all-important data. And then there's the county I made the mistake, I put my alert in the wrong place and I got informed, I was informed about what's going on in Orlando, the other Orange County. But uh, you do the, have to be so, careful. So it's, oh, we are OC alert and they are alert, now we're alert OC. We are alert OC. Okay, alert yeah. OC, that's the only important information. Don't don't yep. no, take the wrong information, just take, take the important stuff away. So, so that, that's very important. And so let's, then um, what about
2: a San Onofre meltdown? Anything different we ought to know about that? Well, since it's not operating now, it's a relatively safe uh, uh, safe down there. <laughs> um, when they're up and running, uh, the campus, the I'm sorry, San Onofre, otherwise affectionately known as SONGS, San Onofre Nuclear Generating Station, has uh, a, a significant um, emergency plan in place. Uh, exercise um, program, all that good kind of stuff, uh, and they work with their, uh, with the county as well as their local communities, most especially uh, Dana Point, and San Clemente, and in those areas that are closer down there. There are uh, designated evacuation zones. The residents who live down in that area get special information on what to do if there's an emergency. In the uh, the planning that I've seen, there should be no. Um, No impact necessarily to the campus from uh, a a nuclear issue down at San Onofre. We will be terribly impacted though by traffic of people trying to evacuate northwards. So again, best to stay where you are, stay in place. Uh, Keep tuned to the radios and other social media so you know what's going on. but just be prepared for people moving. I believe one of the evacuation assembly areas for people leaving that area would be Orange County Fairgrounds. So be aware that there will be heavy traffic coming northbound to try to get to that area of safe refuge for those residents.
1: You rattle that off, but that's something for, for us to really, you know, put back and put it in our hard drive and have that be retrievable for yes. uh, what, yeah. where something to happen. But I know yeah. the previously what the previous um, composition of the Irvine City Council, uh, there were attempts to be proactive about uh, expanding the um, impacted zone to a a 50-mile radius. So that would include us, therefore, and so it would be that that impact would probably change some of your emergency response considerations. If that were the
2: case, indeed. But, uh, you know, they they designed that those isolation zones based on, um, uh, greatest possible impact. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's not emotional and heartfelt. It's really based on hard science. And so they feel like they've got the evacuation zones built the way they need to, to the really keep is the people safe.
1: The- the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, or the um, the Edison people, or um, somebody's going to know who's the day.
2: Both. So oh. Edi- Edison designs their plans, but they all need to be approved by the Nuclear Nuclear Regulatory Agency. So they're they're not going to let anything go that doesn't doesn't meet good science from from that point of view. Goodness, we hope. We hope. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, Indeed. Some sometimes those assumptions,
1: uh, you know, leave us uh, wondering. So, um, <clears throat> I mean, uh, there's not yours. I'm not saying guessing you, Linda. So. Uh, for those of you who just joined us, we have a few more minutes to talk with Linda Bogue, the Emergency Services Manager here at UC Irvine. I'm sorry I can't take questions. There was somebody who was dialing up the, the panel here earlier, and I can't. I'm the only one in this studio uh, switching these uh, buttons here. So um, unfortunately, it would have been nice if we could have a call in, and that may be something we could do at a later day. I line up an engineer who can actually screen and uh, take your calls while our mic is uh, live here. So. Um, we mentioned uh, the social media, and so what, let's talk about uh, this important aspect, the zone crew, where you have the campus split into 13 zones to coordinate building evacuations. That is over 400 people are serving as members of this evacuation teams to facilitate the safe egress, that is, departing of the, uh, in case of an emergency. How... Um, how are those people all lined up to and uh, are they the resident advisors among other people who's all involved in that for
2: for student housing those would typically probably be resident advisors um, or housing assistants on campus though um, each zone has a zone captain many times that person is also the facility manager for that school because they're kind of the ones that that know what's going on in, in that school pretty carefully We have building coordinators and floor wardens, some of whom volunteer and some of whom are um, asked to participate in these evacuation teams, building evacuation teams, and are provided with uh, vests and and a modest amount of of training. It's really not rocket science to be able to sweep your area, if an alarm goes off, to sweep your area, make sure people are out of the buildings safely into pre-designated assembly areas where we can kind of get a head count and make sure everybody's safe. And are... Are those people known
1: to uh, the, the employees and students there? I mean, do they have like a, I mean, an annual kind of introduction of themselves or how does that work uh,
2: yes we have a, a database that's that's accessible through the police website that shows by building who the zone crew assigned folks are there so if you're not sure you could take a look at your building and see we also try to get together annually with our zone crew folks uh, and provide a, a topic of special interest um, and, and get them together so they can network and, and get a little uh, just confirmation and, and reaffirmation of the important work that they do here on this campus uh, uh, timing is everything, I suppose. Our last meeting was in January, and our topic was pre-incident indi- indicators and terrorist activity here in Orange County. And that's where you have,
1: um, for, let's see, who produced it? The in- Orange County Intelligence Assessment Center. Um, as there's a terrorist attacks are preceded by the pre-incident indicators. Uh, it's a brochure that I are you circulating this? I guess through those. Uh, zone crew members
2: it's actually available upon request if if they can um, call the call the police department or, or call me we can get some out to their work areas we have a corporal um, on our police staff who is uh, doing a great deal of work now with active shooters, Corporal Bob Lesage, he, if active uh, shooters, active, well, that's another, that's another thing we worry about on this campus okay, is an active right. shooter scenario. Yeah. we uh, um, Yes. So he's, he can come out and talk about security in the workplace, uh, the potential for active shooter also talk about pre-incident indicators and, and, and terrorist risks on this campus. Wow. You're
1: on it. Wow. I don't remember if professor Reinscheid who was uh contemplating all kinds of havoc wrecked on the nearest high school to this radio station uni high was was there a, a when the were, were the police to the extent that you can uh, tell us on, on the public radio station were the police conferring with you about him sort of turning his target to to the campus
2: versus just the high school um no not specifically with me but i I will say that the campus has a, um, a, a consultation team, which is a multidisciplinary group of police, um, counseling center, student affairs, human resources—a a, a great number of groups—and they're always looking at people who have risen to a, a level of concern um, with their behaviors. So, so we look at things and try to try to identify those folks who might. Become a problem to the campus, and have them um, design interventions or reach out to them to try to get them any help they may need. So, uh, Professor Reinscheid um, was I was identified. Um, I think after his, I'm not I'm not a lot familiar with the case. So, but he was identified. He was on the radar for that consultation team. And I know there was con- con- there was a conversation about about him and his his circumstances. Okay. Well, that's
1: um, that is mighty impressive the reaches of your emergency planning that uh, gives us um, it's it's not the complete net but it's it's a, a really substantial net i think the the way we close up the safety net in hazard or emergency response is that we all are vigilant in terms of what doesn't add up around us that we plan we go through these motions so that when we we know that repetitive motions uh, in sort of in, reinforces what we can do so we can do it without thinking sort of like how we've learned to become good drivers and so that um, then that net will perform for us when something of any kind of unseemly type of catastrophe should uh, p- could possibly unfold on our campus absolutely and yes. beyond yes because uh yeah, so uh, well, we talked about. I guess um now we didn't mention earthquakes, but uh maybe a word or two just about that um I don't know what what earthquake uh Richter scale level do you plan for and then we'll we'll close on that <laughs> too wow
2: that that opens up that that would be another half an hour for sure well, to talk can, about earthquake safety we, we can we can do that at another time, but maybe so, so let's just talk really briefly we do have a a a handful of of uh faults that we worry about newport inglewood fault that's the, the closest. Um, Uh, We actually have San Joaquin Hills Blind Thrust Fault, which actually runs right under the campus and under Turtle Rock, so we worry about that too in addition to the San Onofre. Uh, rather than worry about what Richter scale level we talk about what level of damage okay. we have all of our buildings have been retrofitted to survive uh, the significant level of, of earthquake damage we worry more about contents in some of the chemical buildings some of the science buildings okay uh, we could we could get quite a chemical stew going um, the important thing is though for people just to know where to evacuate if they need to evacuate have supplies in place and and, and be able to get themselves to safety after that
1: Wow Okay,
2: that's all. I that's that's my
1: simplistic answer to all of that. But we, we we'll we can do some more drilling here on, Absolutely. on here. Absolutely, yep. maybe yep. even get a disaster uh, medical director back on here from UCI and uh, sort of you know I don't want to say riff that's too casual, but uh, really uh, it, you know integrate uh, these kinds of um, protocols because that's its integration is what makes those protocols actually effective. Yes, yes. Well, Linda Bogue, uh, UCI. Um, it's a manage, a main campus emergency service man, director. Thank you very much for coming on Ask a Leader today. Thank you for having me. Well, and we're going to go on to the next. Um, the next guest will be Oren Pilkey, the man whose Coastal Zone 101 lesson is Beaches Migrate and Houses Don't. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
0: KUCI is asking you for some support, financial, because they need to keep the station going. Please call in and send in a donation via phone, or you can donate easily online by going to KUCI.org. Without you, KUCI will not be around, so please, please, please donate. KUCI's Spring fund Drive will be running from April 22nd through May 3rd. You're tuned in to
2: KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.
1: Thanks, everybody, for staying with me here. Uh, It's been a long awaited treat to have on the show today. My next guest, that is Oren Pilkey. He's uh, emeritus Emeritus professor of earth sciences at Duke University, and we're going to go through the whole whole shooting match of a a mile here. Um, He is He's been there since 1965, and he's the founder and director emeritus of the Program for Study of Developed Shorelines, which is currently based at Western Carolina University. Um, He's uh, someone who's counted, uh, somebody's been counting, he's published 250 publications. His books include Global Climate Change, A Primer, The World's Beaches, The Rising Sea, Useless Arithmetic. I hope we can get into that a little bit. Atlantic Coast Beaches, a celebration of the world's barrier islands, how to reach a north read a North Carolina beach, The Core and the Shore. He received the Priestley Award in two thousand and three, and that's as good as it can get in some of the science circles. He earned his Bachelor of Science degree in geology at Washington State College. Was that in Pullman?
0: That was in Pullman. Oh my gosh,
1: Pullman, (laughs) Washington. His uh, Master's of Science degree in geology uh, at the University of Montana and his PhD in geology at Florida State University. He comes to us today from Durham, North Carolina. Originally interested in deep sea floor study, he changed the study of coasts when his parents lost their Waveland, Mississippi home, and it was destroyed by Hurricane Camille way back in 1969 before some of you were even a twinkle in your parents' eyes. I want to offer a warm welcome to you, Professor Orion Pilkey on Ask a Leader.
0: Well, thank you very much. I'm, I'm pleased to be here.
1: Well, uh, I say you are a get and uh, on this sh- particular show today, so I'm so glad, you really, you're here. And if I'm I'm waxing, uh, you know, a worship-like tones, folks, it's because it's genuine and I want to. So uh, as a geologist and a kind of a... You talk about how the beaches are the most dynamic place on Earth, and uh, Oren Pokey when you talk... Of these beaches, your metaphor for them is nearly that of an organism, like how the hunkering down and protecting themselves during a storm, or how they thrive in hostile environments, uh, you know, is in play. Uh, you you really do look at them like an organism in a way.
0: Yes, I, yes, I do. I, I think the example you mentioned, the storm response, is is a good example. They they uh, you know they flatten themselves, uh, which means the waves, the big waves, dissipate their energy. Over a broader surface when they flat when they're flattened, and then after the storm they get steeper again, and they do a number of things like that which make sense and 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 kind of hold the shoreline more or less in place or at least reduces the amount of, of retreat it reduces the amount of loss of sand from the beach
1: ah and there's our seg into. What you are clamoring for, wherever you can find the the format, is the futility in rebuilding. It's matched by the futility in beach replenishment and armoring the coastline with seawalls. It's so counter to I think what popular consideration is. Well, if we put up the seawall, we're going to save our, our 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 buildings, but we're not going to. Uh, the, but the beach goes away. So um, let's. Let's t- we're going to take up that, that um, the survival of the beaches depends on whether humans try to hold the shoreline in place. That's the problem.
0: Yeah, it's a problem of, of, of our societal priorities. Uh, which is more important, beaches or buildings? And for the most part, we uh, look at, we, we uh, you know, our society considers, or at least those who live along the beach consider the building to be much more important than the beach. But then there's a much larger number of people who want to use the beach so if we if we had a vote, why these people who live next to the beach would have to move their building or let them fall in one of the one of the two so uh, but if it, it, it comes down to beaches or building, take your choice
1: well and and uh, or in the the fate of your parents' home, it is a cautionary tale for anyone affected by Hurricane Sandy last November and went on for December and it still goes on. Uh, not, um, for, so it's a cautionary tale for those affected uh, and for those yet to be affected by the next uh, storms. Can you enumerate those human activities that undermine the coast's ability to buffer the onslaught of the storm? It's the engineering, the mining and the pollution there.
0: Yeah, we have all, we have all three, of course. Uh, but pollution doesn't have too much. To do. Pollution is serious, by the way, uh, on our beaches, more serious than most of us realize. But uh, that's not a, that doesn't impact on, on preservation of buildings and so forth. Now, my parents' house. Um, they the house was at 13 feet elevation. Now 13 feet elevation probably wouldn't have been touched by Hurricane Sandy. That's on stilts. You mean the elevated 13 feet? Oh no, no. The the ground was 13 feet. Their their house was on oh, right. that ground level. And were they on stilts? And so it was not a it was not a uh, it was not a barrier island type house. It okay. was at a fairly high ele- elevation, and they but yet. Even so, they had five or six feet of water in the house. So that's in Mississippi, though, where in southern Mississippi, where the uh, storm surge is, uh, well, the storm surge in Hurricane Katrina was 30 feet there. You don't get that kind of storm surge in New Jersey or or even in North Carolina. The storm surge, the amount of elevation of the water that will occur in a storm generally is a function of the width of the continental shelf. If you have a wide, shallow shelf, there's lots of room for the for the storm surge to build up. And if you have a narrow shelf, like, say, off Miami, which is very narrow, the storm surge tends to be much smaller, all because of the width of the shelf. For the and, same storm, it'd be much smaller. So.
1: And how about for California? Now, that's a reflective beach you talked about. That's also a more narrow shelf?
0: Yes, yes. California is generally, a, 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 in fact, the whole northwest, the whole west, western coast is a a pretty narrow shelf. And so storm surges out there are much, much less than they are in the Gulf. The Gulf Coast uh, has by far the highest storm surges.
1: Okay. Okay. So um, you've seen them all. um, There isn't a content continent that you haven't investigated in the rising sea, and you offer, because we we, uh, we got a little bit nailed here on the time here, um, you offered some examples of the varied responses world round in acknowledging sea level rise, the anticipated relocation of the Inupiat Eskimos relocate, relocation upland, the abandonment of the, the Norfolk Broads villages northeast of London, the uh, Pacific coast of Columbia. Is that is, well, I'm going to ask why that keeps coming up. as a special kind of a Pacific center. Uh, those, they're moving structures uh, inland or to higher ground and Cape Town, South Africa, establishing a blue line. So that's where there's a response. Then there's this absolute denial going on, where, like in Dubai's case, where there's those enormous... High rises on the spits. Florida isn't much different when we look at all the coastal barrier islands in Florida. And the jurisdictions along the Mississippi Delta taking, I'm going to call it a Calvinistic approach to the inevitable, um, you know, in face of the inevitable kinds of uh, storm occurrences. Everyone seems to be having a different learning curve about this persistent global trend, don't they?
0: Oh, they certainly do. I'm impressed uh I well uh, impressed mostly, I guess, with New Zealand, which has really gone into some detailed planning for the sea level rise, and then at the, and then at the uh, in, in my state here of North Carolina. Uh, our government has basically denied the sea level, or denied that it, it exists. Right up for, to a, a recent. Will, at, at worst, it'll be eight inches, is what they say. And, so, and didn't North you know, we we are two extremes, New Zealand and North Carolina.
1: And North Carolina's was a a very fresh uh, legislative uh, a vote on um, uh, what was going to be permitted in the coastline.
0: Yeah, they what they have done now, they've decided that they will ignore the sea level for the next four or five years. Uh and And then we'll have a special meeting of the science panel, but the science panel will now include those who are skeptical of sea level rise and with the idea that we'll have all sides of the story. but it, you know if you're going to ask a scientist for for their opinion, you should ask a scientist or if you want a scientific opinion, ask scientists, not those who deny science and you You still have your opinion denying scientists, denying science, but you 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 know you have to pay attention to the scientists. If you really want to learn what we think, it uh, doesn't mean that we're always right by any means. You know, the the Inupiat uh, Eskimos are yes. a particularly interesting case. Yes, please. Along the uh, uh, along the Chukchi Sea, especially Shishmaref and are two villages that are, they're going to have to be moved. And and problem is, um, there there are only 500 people each in each of those villages, 500 plus, and the cost will be of the order of three or four hundred million dollars to move these people because it's so difficult to build a new village in, in a in in permafrost. You know, it's very, very costly. And they the government insists and, and the people want it, they want heat and they want running water and they want garbage facilities, so forth. And so it boils down to if we do this it'll cost three hundred to four hundred thousand dollars per individual in these villages. You know, is it worth doing it? They're they're the only Society. Only villages left. There are about a dozen of them uh, that are totally dependent upon uh, their environment. You know that they are uh, totally dependent on the local environment for food, and and this is quite unique in our society. So, the the feeling is that we should spend this kind of money if we have to to preserve these uh, villages and these people. So. And in Colombia, let me just say one more, in Colombia, uh, on the Pacific coast of Colombia, uh, they move houses back routinely from a very rapidly eroding shoreline. So the question could be, why, why do they build right next to a rapidly eroding shoreline? And the answer is that they, they, they have a malaria problem, and if they're next to the shoreline, they get more breeze and fewer mosquitoes, at least they hope. And so for that reason, they, they um, live right next to an eroding shoreline, but they can, they can move a house. Two men, they say, can move a house in a couple of weeks back. The house is made up of panels, and they can move it back to a new location. Um, but so they know, what, they know what they're doing. They know that it's an eroding shoreline, so, and they're doing this fully conscious of what's happening.
1: Well, that that is a marvel, and but Dubai doesn't get to plead the same thing. There's no such thing as malaria in the Persian Gulf. That's so. no, there sure is. But you know, and, and, uh,
0: and the feds <laughs> and were. they, uh, it's pretty hard to excuse what they've done, it, except they've got a lot of money. But they too, it, it's uh, they were advised by their geology advisors uh, that maybe this wasn't a good idea because of coming sea level rise. But that didn't that didn't stop them. They they have a massive uh, massive wall protecting the development you know that looks like a palm tree from from the air but but um the massive uh, revetment is not going to stop sea level rise it, it may stop uh, uh storm waves from hitting them but it's not going to stop sea level rise and i think i think that's a uh, it's a very very costly development that is You know, it it doesn't have a very good long-term future. (laughs)
1: Well, and that costly development, it was going to be, uh, it was taken up by our federal government with a reconsideration of extending the federal flood insurance, which is uh, now it's, uh, but that that all changed. We were going to be uh, withholding federal flood insurance in those lesser developed sections, but that all ended uh, by the time... uh, Let's see. This was an initiative in the middle 80s, and that that ended. And then more and more sort of uh, uh, thinning out of uh, the coastline vegetation, and more beach mining, and all this. All these things are sort of coming into play to undermine uh, the the coast's ability to take the brunt of a storm. Not just for in terms of saving the beaches, but saving anything. Uh, you know landward of the uh, mean uh, sea level uh, line yeah. there so for uh, for those of you who've just joined us we Uh-oh. have the honor yeah. and the pleasure having Professor orrin Pilkey now professor emeritus at Duke University the expert and the truthsayer I must say about coastal zone dynamics here on escalator ad KUCI 8.9 FM in Irvine and streaming all over to coasts all over the world on the the web at kuci.org. So um so that was reversed as well um as So let's take up, you were mentioning in um, your New York Times editorial piece in November of last year, you know, what you expect is going to be happening with the distribution of federal flood insurance funds because we've got these huge population areas in New New Jersey and New York, and anybody else who was dealt with in the same storm, they're not going to see anything.
0: Well, what's happening now is a strong... Very likely, the federal flood insurance is going to become actuarial. That is, it's going. You're going to have to pay what you really should, you know, really pay for the for the cost of it, for the potential cost of it, and that will amount in New Jersey to about seven thousand dollars per year per building. And for for a long time, the federal flood insurance has been, you know, basically uh, you just pay a fraction of what what you of actuarial cost. So I think when if we move and i think we're going to do it we're going to move it up to $7,000 or so per per unit we're going to have a a big change in the outlook on um on on living near the near the beach now there, a lot of people who live near the beach are rich and um so to speak, and they, and they can, uh, they can uh, losing a house is not necessarily a catastrophe. But there are still a lot of people living on Barrier Island, for example, that maybe not living right next to the beach that are not. That $7,000 a year is going to be a big sum a on, big on top of their mortgage and everything else. So I think that's going to make a change in our outlook on, on coastal uh, development, I think. Um, I hope um I'm, I'm I'm hopeful that that'll change things
1: but it it's not very reassuring in the kind of current debate of other red herrings and things like that that um for us to um see this kind of a huge huge impact a social a fiscal impact um you know in the the uh, allocation of resources uh, for coastal zone um, infrastructure improvement, redeveloping homes, and that kind
0: of a thing. Well, Well, another thing we see is that uh, the federal government is trying to get out of beach replenishment. Um, You know, there's a lot of public support for getting out of it. The the question being asked, especially in coastal states like North Carolina, is why why are we paying for beach nourishment or beach replenishment on these barrier islands when we weren't the ones who were dumb enough to build a building right next to the beach? Right. And I think if they if if the mentality that's driving a big change, both the Bush administration and the, and and the Obama administration have tried and still are trying, and they are reducing the amount of money we're spending on on Beach replenishment, and that—that's a big step. You know, it's a big step.
1: Okay, okay. <clears throat> well, I—I I hope so. I'm, and I, there are a number of books that I mentioned, Oren Pilkey, that you've written that uh, I think our listeners uh, would be well advised to pick up. And I think um, it's, I, I the. Your book, "Useless Arithmetic," concedes the limits of models to predict outcomes of many of the natural forces in play. Even as you claim that the that global climate change is measurable in the increased rate of sea level rise, uh, and you talk about how um, we we can't know exactly about the. I mean, you're talking about so many dynamics, but it, even in uh, the world's beaches, you talk about some some land masses are sinking, so sea level rise may be at. at at a, at a faster rate than where some areas where land masses because of volcanic and seismic activity, they're yeah. they're thrusting upward. So it's it's a very complicated, uh, yeah, beyond it, it modeling. Complicated.
0: You know, one of the things, in Colombia, we think that the sea level rise uh, may be going on in some of the barrier islands. There may be 10 feet per century. Uh, the overall sea level rise is about a foot to a foot and a half. The overall global, overall global rise, foot to foot and a half per century, In the Mississippi Delta, there are some places where the sea level is rising, four feet per century. But then in Juneau, Alaska, the sea level is dropping because the land is coming up, because the the removal of it's recovering from the weight of the glaciers. That was fascinating. Absolutely
1: fascinating. I don't I don't think we uh, put our minds on that, but that that really was. That's incredible to <laughs> think of it yeah. in that term. Well, yeah. um, I I know that people are wondering now, how can we make sure? Now, Oren Pilkey's name, uh, it's, it's all over the place, but if you haven't seen it yet, it's uh, P-I-L-K-E-Y. You can Google him and uh, you can also go to coastalcare.org and look up all of these publications and uh, educate yourself on what's going it's it's fascinating it's accessible reading did you work hard to make your writing so accessible or did that come naturally to you mr. Pilkey
0: well you oh, have doctor. to work hard at it and I had to learn <laughs> the first few books I had to learn that uh, to take criticism which is sometimes hard to do oh. people people telling me well I, I'm glad you're saying this, but I don't understand what you're saying uh, So, <laughs> you know you have to you have to um, uh learn this is, uh, writing for the public for a scientist is something you have to learn we tend to we tend to value technical writing sometimes technical writing is rather fuzzy and a little too complex but so uh yeah I've had to learn the well, hard way.
1: And you've made made uh, made it clear from from the all, I mean there isn't one continent I don't think that you haven't visited and and bringing it home uh with uh, you know right down to like what sand composition is like re-nursed sand composition how it's different what you know what kinds of habitat implications are and you you mess with the with the sand all the way up to you know the the massive oil spills intentionally or, uh, in an, uh, or accidentally released in, on various uh, shores around the world. It's just, it's amazing. Well, I, I hate to say this, but uh, that we have to close Coastal 101 with our esteemed professor, Oren Pilkey, uh, the emeritus professor of earth sciences at Duke University uh, and the co-author of Rising Sea. He's currently working on The Lost Beach. I want to thank you very much for being on Ask a Leader today.
0: Hey, thank you so much. You're you've been very nice to me. Oh, thank you, not, and not you, everybody is. Oh, so. <laughs> oh, poli-
1: Oh, well, I'm. You know, I've been a fan ever since my graduate school days in the coastal zone with David Gottschalk. I have to give him a shout out. Oh U N C Chapel Hill, and uh, this was a moment I was waiting for. And I just want you to know, as be- before you hang up, we hang up on you, is that we're going to let the the Rhine flooding be the theme and the goethe de Morang uh, as we pair uh, your interview with my music as we close out the show. <laughs> okay. Thanks so much for being on the show. Take care. My
0: pleasure, for sure, yeah.
1: Next week, we're going to talk, we're going to hear from attorney Janice Bellucci to speak about the complexities of where California's 88,000 and growing registered sex offenders, what what are we going to do once they've done their time, what are we going to do about them as well as the other fine guests under consideration? I believe that's going to be Jane Page, who's going to put on, uh, she'll be presenting at the end of, that week, the visitor at the Claire Trevor Brennan Center of the Arts. And meanwhile, I had just a few announcements before we put on George, and I'm sorry for running over, George, and looking for my, all my notes here. Um, next, this, Today at 7.30, the Cousins Club will be they're the organization engaging Jews and Arabs and non-Jews and non-Arabs in peaceful initiatives in the Middle East, and they will be having their monthly meeting tonight at 7 30 at their usual location and that is at the Irvine Ranch Water District building and that some of you may know not know it's at 15500 Sand Canyon Avenue the topic will be Obama's Middle East trip what's next we talked with David Elsner at J Street and so now locally that conversation will continue it's going to be a panel of Yossi Ken, Jeff Warner, and Mbail Dajani. And also this Sunday, um, KUCI's very own Barbara DeMarco Barrett on Wednesday's morning, uh, Wednesday morning's Writers on Writing. She'll be speaking on um, at the LA Times Book Festival on the second day, that Sunday. She'll be speaking at 1.30 at the North Theater at USC. So instead of Gerda Demerong uh, burning up Brunhilde in the and the Rhine flood ensuing we are going to instead listen to sink the ships with my dear buddy Omar Torres uh, and then we're going to bring on George Rosales with George Hadahat thank you for joining us today everybody appreciate it
0: Touchdown in
1: the second year New millennium just got here They told me what to watch out for